Hi, I'm Christina Dennis, and you are listening to The Recovered Life Show. Every week, we bring you a recovered life discussion all about setting healthy boundaries and how codependency could be keeping you from living your best recovered life. Remember, addiction is a life-threatening condition, and the information in this discussion is provided as a resource only and is not to be used or relied on for any diagnostic or treatment purposes. This is not a substitute when professional diagnosis or treatment is needed. Now let's jump into the discussion. We're going to go ahead and get started um, really quickly and more people will fall in. The right people will be here, the right conversation. Hello and good morning um, to everyone. I know not everybody's in the morning time zone, but I am on the West Coast. So this is my first, <clears throat> the first moment I'm using my voice this morning. <laughs> so I might have some... Uh, frogs in my throat. My name is Christina Dennis and you are in the Recovered Life uh, discussion. Uh, the name of this uh, discussion is Setting Healthy Boundaries. Um, my background is that I am a recovery coach and I am an expert in breaking codependent patterns, which is the um, theme underneath Setting Healthy Boundaries. It's one of the I mean, it really is the passion of my life because it saved me um, and helped me remain uh, on this planet um, and more than just survive. And so I'm utterly grateful for uh, the uh, sex addict that I was involved with 25 years ago um, that brought me to my knees to get here. Um, and I would love it if people want, feel like coming up and sharing. We go ahead and get started. Just some quick ground rules. This discussion is rebroadcasted, so uh, I ask everybody to use first names only um, and uh, share what you feel comfortable sharing and that we are respectful of each other and kind to each other and we focus on solution, but also I want this to be a place where people feel very comfortable sharing what's going on with them. And I kind of mentioned uh, yesterday uh, in Deanna and I's discussion about Atlas of the Heart that we would be talking about mothers and mothering and uh, it's not limited to that. So please, in the recovered life, we want people to come up and let us know what's going on with you, especially if you need more support or have a question. But I thought it would be a great way to kick off the discussion. Um, and uh, so with that, I'm, I'm going to jump in. Uh, it is conversation, Noel. So please, uh, anybody who needs to share raise your hand and share and if you would also share the room in the hallway more people will know that it's getting started and come in i um i am a mother uh, and i think that one of the reasons why it struck me that this room needed to happen this week is because of the mother's day holiday coming up and uh, i know it's not celebrated worldwide but it reminded me when someone brought it up on Monday that this is important to discuss. When you're in recovery, um, these kinds of things eventually, eventually everybody gets around to discussing their mother and the way that they were raised. And, um, and I thought this was appropriate because of that. It's one of the most difficult relationships that we have as you know, common humanity. You know, everyone has a mother. 
but it's also one of the more thorny, difficult conversations to have when we are walking through our trauma and we're revisiting it. And I'll just quickly share some of my feelings on the subject. Um, I feel like I was lucky in many ways um, because I was raised by a woman <clears throat> who I thought was my mother, uh, found out at 16 that she was actually my grandmother. And my, my, uh, <clears throat> my mother was mentally ill. She was very, very much struggling with how to live life in the pain that she felt. And her behavior was very erratic, very, very powerful. Um, she doled out abuse, um, both physical, uh, covertly sexual, and was in a lot of pain and used her children as a way to, to kind of discharge that and off-charge that. But because it was so obvious with her that I wasn't going to, to get the love that I needed or that acceptance or have safety in her presence, I became very disengaged with needing anyone. Um, and in many ways that was positive because I didn't have what I see happening in, in others who are in recovery, the come here, stay away. <clears throat> it was so obvious to me at a very young age that in order to um, survive, I had to find other adults that were going to support me or in my case made a decision that I wasn't going to have a childhood. I wasn't going to be young. I've recently been working in a workbook that is uh, kind of a second workbook to adult children of alcoholics, 12-step book, which I adore. And uh, it's all about becoming our own loving parent. And there's a lot of work around the teenage years. <clears throat> so I've been thinking about that uh, and doing that work. Uh, even at 25 years of recovery, there are still things that I need to come through and understand. And what I'm getting in touch with is that there's still anger, that I still have anger over my teenage years. And so I moved out at 17. Um, my, my, her particular type of abuse was to throw me out over and over again from the tender age of 13. And so finally, uh, there was a time where, um, she came to my place of work and took my keys and said, you're not wanted. And this was kind of her rhetoric. And, um, and, uh, I decided I was an adult at that time. Um, I quickly, uh, got into work mode and perfectionism and, uh, acted out sexually to allow myself to be taken care of and uh, kind of went on my merry way. And it was this great little story about how crazy she was and how I was a survivor. And I didn't know at the time, but I was curating my denial that it actually affected me. And uh, as I am a mother of now a 17-year-old and realizing that I want freedom and I want to keep moving, I am going back and talking about it and actually getting in touch with it. And it's so complicated and it feels really sad to me to think about the things that didn't happen. You know, um, for instance, this is the time that we celebrate prom and graduation 
and none of that was celebrated with me. Um, I remember needing a senior picture and arranging for the photo shoot myself so I could get a proof to go into my school yearbook, but there were no announcements. Um, she was very, very mentally ill. And for many years in recovery, I did the four-step procedure, you know, where I prayed for her. And I actually came to a place where I really did have compassion and love for her. But what I didn't do for a long time was examine the belief systems that I picked up at a very young age um, as a toddler. And I have to say, even in double-digit recovery, I still believed that I had a secret, um, that I was fatally flawed. And, um, and I am happy to say that I feel good enough now to kind of walk through it. But I also, being a mother, understand how complicated the relationship is. I've shared that my son is on the spectrum, and he's been very, very difficult. And it's been very, very painful. And a lesson that I learned as a mother is that I was, I had expectations for him to, you know, uh, overcome obstacles. Uh, I, I worked tirelessly for years, and it wasn't until he was about 12 and I met my husband um, did I actually see how much pressure that put on him. I saw that all this time I thought I was taking care of him and helping him, and when another adult came on the scene, I saw the relief that happened in his eyes like he was no longer responsible for me to be okay and feel safe. Like he didn't, it was hard enough for him to overcome being nonverbal and to struggle with the brains that he has and what he's able to do without having this added pressure. And, um, and I have sadness around that too. And so I don't have any kind of theme um, or any kind of beautiful moral to the story because I'm in the middle of it and it's very messy. I just wanted to share a little bit about what is happening with me and this whole complicated relationship prior to Mother's Day so that we would have a place where we could share um, what it feels like when the whole world has an expectation um, for us to celebrate our mothers. And uh, with that, um, I see people are willing to come up, and I'm so excited. Um, I am going to yield the mic and ask Deanna if she feels comfortable responding and having this, you know, this is a very tender conversation because I don't want to beat up my grandmother. She was mentally ill. Um, my mother passed six weeks ago, and there was she was essentially a stranger. So I don't want to appear as if I'm you know, slamming the dead or in you know, no compassion, but at the same time, there's still pain there. And uh, that's why I wanted to share and relieve a little bit of what's happening with me. So Deanna, I would love it if you'd take over oh, and quit talking. <laughs> yes, Christina. I I just want to hold space for you and say thank you so much for sharing all that. This is a very sensitive 
Um, let me just take a breath. I always need a breath when I start talking. <laughs> this is a sensitive topic and everything that you're going through is so, I just want to validate what you're going through, that it is complicated and messy and you're doing it with such grace. And I just, you inspire me. You inspire me so much. For myself, I am not a mother. And this is a sensitive topic. And it's, it's so interesting. I'm going to say serendipitous that um, Christina needed a co-mod today. And I was available and willing. Because yesterday when she said that this conversation was going to be around mothers and mothering, I immediately said, okay, not joining that conversation. I don't need that. Um, and so I'm glad that I'm glad that it worked out that I did because I do want to talk about this stuff and I want to hear from other people. I want to hear other mothers talk about their own experiences. For me, myself, I will just share uh, one. I had lunch with my mother yesterday and that was quite lovely. She lives two hours away and we don't see each other enough. Um, but, uh, I do I I did write something down when you started talking Christina that when I was 15 I went through my first unfortunately first very traumatic experience and I I remember my mom was folding laundry on the couch and it was summertime it was hot outside we lived in Sacramento area it's hot and I was passing by her and she, it was the morning time and she had stayed home from work for, a, I don't, to a day off. She worked in retail. It was awesome. Lots of clothes, lots of clothes to fold. And she asked me what was wrong. And I just, I was blank. And I remember her folding the clothes and putting them in her lap and looking up at me and saying, someday you will tell me what's wrong. And I, I still hold, I, someday I did tell her what's wrong. Um, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, she helped, she, now I'm thinking about this and I, she helped be a very supportive mother for me in many times that I needed, I needed her. And I, I love that we're talking about this because it, our relationship has been different since I got sober. Um, over two years ago, it's been different. And so we're trying to, she's not sober and she's amazing and, and, and just wonderful, but, um, it is different. So we're working on that. So it was nice to have a lunch with her yesterday. Um, for myself, I have, my dream in life was to be a mom. I'm 38, so I'm not going to just push it by the wayside. Um, I most likely cannot have children of my own, but every time I say that, somebody will tell me, don't listen to what other people say. So I just hold on to myself because I know that I'm here and I'm real and I love myself. And in the meantime, uh, I'm blessed with a wonderful husband um, that we've been together for 12 years. And I know infertility causes a lot of issues in families. Um, and so I'm very blessed in that way. But my mother, I feel like my mother gave me a lot of things that I want to pass down to other people, to other kids that I had always planned to pass these things down. And so 
I volunteer with kids instead. Um, and I volunteer at a juvenile detention center where a lot of these children, their parents are not very present. Um, some of them are not alive. And so unfortunately, I really, really wanted to go there for Mother's Day, but they're having a COVID outbreak. So nobody can go, not even the mothers. Oh, it just breaks my heart. But we are strong human beings. And uh, my mother has instilled that in me. And I am, I'm going to honor that. I'm going to honor what my mother instilled in me and continue to try to be that for other people and other kids that don't have that. So thank you so much for letting me talk. Um, now I would love to hear from other people. I'm just going to pass it back to you, Christina, and you could take it from here. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up because that's also important to, to share that this coming Mother's Day brings a lot of pain and that there, it's very, very um, conflicting for a lot of people, um, you know, uh, that it ends up being, uh, it brings up pain. And so it's, it's amazing that you're able to share that. And I'm glad that you were able to come uh, to the room. I have had that same exact reaction where I'm like, well, I'm going to miss that one. No way. Uh, in fact, I would even venture to say that this morning I was like, well, do I really need to do this? But I know after years of being in recovery that when I have that feeling, it is self-protective and it really needs to be, I don't know, addressed and I need to confront it. So I love it. And uh, thank you for always bringing you to our discussions. Laura. Welcome. So happy to see you. Uh, happy Mother's Day ahead of time. Thank you, Christina. And <clears throat> same to you. And thank you so much for holding space for this topic. Um, I was in your room on Monday and uh, absolutely, um, you know, mentioned the Mother's Day thing. And uh, I, I'm so grateful for this space to talk. Um, this is this is something that is that is my heart. Um, I'm blessed to be the mom of four adult children, ranging in age of 29 to 21, and they are my everything. Um, but Christina, you said something so important that you know Mother's Day. It's the world feels obligated to celebrate their mom. It's this day that we that Hallmark or somebody has come up with. Uh, there's a flip side to that coin, and that's the, it, it, it is the day that most mothers expect to be celebrated. Um, and I know for me personally, Mother's Day means more than Christmas, my birthday, or any other holiday, because it is the day that makes me special and really identifies me as who I am. Um, Deanna, I will tell you, if your dream has always been to have children, then do not give up your dream. I don't know what that looks like for you, but just don't. Um, and I took, I took what was my dream and the gift of four absolutely beautiful, talented kids. And I, excuse my French, fucked it up to the maximum by being an alcoholic. And, um, you know, some children, all children or, or all family members react differently to alcoholism. Uh, in a loved one, but I will tell you that no doubt I am the mom 
who my children will be in in the, the therapies the therapist's office or you know on a on a, a a forum like this saying my mother caused me to be like x y and z because she was an alcoholic um it has been very rough it it, it um you know the bottom line now is i have four kids um in six, 16 months ago when i relapsed for the second time all four of them stopped talking to me now two of them are speaking to me and i have a good relationship with two of them and that's my two boys and my two girls are not speaking to me at all and so here i am again you know coming up on mother's day and saying to myself you know praying to god that my girls will soften their hearts a little bit and be able to that something will happen that will be able to start a process of some sort of recovery or conversation or something i have not spoken to my my youngest daughter in 16 months i was a stay at home mom for 10 years when i did go back to work it was only part time went to every game cooked a home cooked meal every single night these kids were everything to me and i just fucked it up and they can't get past it at all and i'm not judging that that's they they're entitled to it i caused a lot of destruction and it, and the divorce with my husband was involved with that who they adore and i'm not going to i i am kind of going on and on but i i want to stop and just say that i want to just acknowledge for my own self that last mothers day not one of my kids reached out to me i didn't hear from any of them at all not a text nothing This Mother's Day I I am confident I will hear from my boys. And I am equally confident that I won't hear anything from the girls and it breaks my heart. But what I know is what I'm taught in I I I I recover through AA and what I'm taught in the program is if I follow 12 simple steps I will be amazed before I'm halfway through and that is true. because i am amazed that only a year ago nobody nothing from any for many of the kids this year i have half of them back isn't that a miracle isn't that so beautiful and i am so damn grateful and not a minute of my life goes by where i don't that is not like in my face i am completely aware of of how grat- grateful i am for that but it's still hard and it it humbles me because it reminds me of how much more work i have to do and in the meantime i have to practice acceptance give the girls their time give the girls their space even though it pains me um and pray to god that that things will happen in his time and he's watching over them and and they're doing you know they're having their journey and they're staying healthy uh emotionally during all of it um So anyway, I don't know that I said really much except I I kind of got out what was on my heart. So again, Christina, I just thank you because it's only two pe- two kinds of people will understand what I just said. You're either a mom, so you understand, or you're an alcoholic and you understand. And if you're a mother who is an alcoholic, then you really understand. 
Um, there's no pain, you know, you're only as happy as your most unhappy child. So I've got, um, I've got a lot of happiness, uh, still to, to uncover in my life. And I'll just keep showing up every single day and listening to Christina and her wisdom and all of you and what you have to say so that when it, you know, if my girls ever give me a chance, I'll be the best person I could be at that moment. So thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. You, you said a lot. You said a lot and, and shared with us exactly what I was thinking about, the complicated parts and how addiction enters in. And we, we do things we wish we hadn't. Um, you know, I, I was completely sober with my son, not picking up on the fact that I that he felt like he had to behave a certain way and be something that he couldn't possibly be in order for me to love him or accept him. And I can tell you, um, I can tell you from a perspective of a child who needs a mother, you're there, you're there. And don't forget that. You know, I, my mother passed and prior to that, I had not seen her uh, until I don't know, 35 years. And so uh, that means something to me that you're there and willing to stay and willing to wait. That means a lot. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, Bloom, what would you like to share? Oh, we can't hear you, hon. It's just, it's not, your connection isn't working. We cannot hear you. So um, perhaps move to a different spot so that we can hear you better, but it just, um, it's not coming through. Um, thank you. JJ, I'm happy to see you. No, honey, it's still, it's still hard to hear you. Okay, I will check back with you after and see if your connection gets better, Bloom. Hi, JJ. Welcome. Hi, Christina. Hi, so everybody. Good to see I, you. I know it's been a while, and I just appreciate you paying me um, into the room today. Um, <clears throat> I hope you can hear me okay, because I'm also we in can. the far end of my house. Yeah, we can. Okay, great. Well, I just think this topic is just really apt. The timing is just great and um you know you you got my mind thinking and i was thinking about my mom and also myself as a mom i am 54 years old and um, i only have one child he's 27 um and my son and i we are uh he's one of my best friends and i'm one of his and and uh, it was a long road getting to where we are now but i think back and just to give you a quick um, update on my background. I was raised by two, I'm not going to call them absolute narcissists, but my parents definitely are narcissistic and my father a lot more so than my mom. But, you know, we all emigrated from South Korea when I was uh, five. My parents were very ambitious, very hardworking. They were workaholics. They were very proud people and the entire weight of all their dreams fell upon us, their children, and I was the oldest of three girls. My parents always wanted to have a boy, but I was like the closest thing, you know, um, and I was the most academic out of my 
sisters. So my parents from an early age were, they were just always brainwashing me to be a doctor. And I didn't realize that I didn't want to be one until I was in my twenties, but long story short, um, there were very, very critical hyper, um, hyper critical and judgmental and just verbally abusive all around. And I didn't realize this until later. I grew up um, and developed bulimia and I became extremely codependent on my parents' approval. And so I went from uh, having extremely low self-esteem and being codependent on my parents' approval to I went out into the world and then I just was a people pleaser to everybody and I be eventually you know married my college sweetheart and I was a people pleaser to him but so what I always hated about my parents was how proud and vain they were they always wanted all of us to look our best um, my my parents would brag about the cars they owned and this is like to other people and it was just very embarrassing and I told myself I'm never going to be like this I'm never going to be my like my mom. My mom was very clear on how a woman should look. Um, and, you know, being Asian, I would, <laughs> she really wanted me to be really petite and waif thin. I, and I was not that. And I indulged in food because to, um, to, to soothe myself. And then I would purge afterwards because I would feel so guilty. But anyway, so I, I told myself I was never going to be like my mom. And long story short, I kind of ended up being a version of my mom. And so um, my son, as I was raising him, I always wanted him to be polite and say and do the right things. And he ended up being extremely gifted, so much more than me. And I thought he was going to become like a rocket scientist or, you know, something. Um, I wanted him to go to the best colleges. and But I kept trying to tone myself down because I didn't want to impose my will on him. But I could, I realized that my pride in my son uh, was um, was reflecting around how other people might view him. And um, my identity was wrapped around what my son was like, what how he would be behave. And you know, that wasn't that wasn't correct. So at some point, he's off in college, and he's a very sensitive child. And one day he just broke down and, and said that he, he he refused to answer any and all of my texts or conversations, I had to send the campus police to see, check on him to see if he was alive. And, you know, I was so upset, like, after all that we do for you, like, how could you just ignore us? And how could you, you know, don't you know, I'm your mom, I worry about you. I mean, looking back, it was just all a guilt trip. And I was just shaming my son. And he did the right thing. He just completely shut me out of his life because he couldn't deal with it. And eventually, he ended up pulling out of um, school altogether. But I went through this um, trial period where he um, referred to me and his father as, um, you know, he called us by our, our, our first names. He wrote us a long letter saying he wanted to cut off ties. It was the most hurtful thing. And so, you know, when I hear you, Laura, talking about um, your children not wanting to have things, uh, have, ha have anything to do with you sometimes, it just brings back memories of that. And it is just one of the most hurtful things. So anyway, Sorry, I didn't mean to digress. So at some point, my son does eventually contact me and then he admits that he does um, miss me. 
but he would like to reestablish uh, communication and a new relationship. And by this point, he had done a lot of work on himself. And so he was in essence reaching out to me and wanting to establish a new relationship as two adults. And yes, he was always going to be my son and I would always be his mother, but he wanted me to respect him as the individual that he was. And so because he was so much healthier and he was able to establish his boundaries, we were able to successfully create a beautiful relationship today. And now I fast forward to the current time period. I'm getting ready to see my mom. You know, I've just um, um, recently uh, divorced my husband and um, my mom is constantly on the phone reminding me, you know, oh, maybe I should start dating. You know, I'm not getting any younger. Or she'll say, would you like me to set you up with this nice doctor? Um, um, he's a son of one of my friends. Constant, constant comments about basically sharing with me how she thinks that I should be or how I should be acting or what I should be doing. And I realize that I'm a much more, I'm a healthier individual because I'm able to just calmly set my boundaries by telling her, no, mom, I'm not interested or no, sorry. You know, um, doctors are very busy. I don't know if that would work. You know, I just calmly state my, my, my thoughts and feelings. And, um, and because she's the type to be so insistent, I'm realizing that she doesn't really get offended. You know, it's like um, people who don't accept your nose, you have to really be really strong in their face for them to realize that you are rejecting them. And so I'm getting more and more empowered and I'm, get, um, I'm about to visit my mom. She lives about three hours away. I'm going with another one of my sisters, but I feel very confident that I'm not gonna feel overwhelmed by all of her pressure and things like that. And I just rest in the fact that I do love her. I cannot deny that no matter what. In the worst periods of my life, when I, when I just thought I hated my mom, I really never did. And yeah, she's always gonna have narcissistic tendencies, but I can recognize that she's not mentally health, uh, healthy. And, um, and all I can do is control myself and work on my own mental health. And the more I do that, the stronger I can be and the more I can enjoy my time with my mom because she's not getting any younger. So I will stop with that. I'm JJ and thank you so much, Christina, for this room. Wow, thank you, JJ. It's been, been a little bit since I've heard you share and boy, can I feel and hear the recovery um, that you shared. It's such, such good stuff. Um, we do love our parents. Um, if you're raised by somebody and that's what makes it so hard to to also heal and you know i in the in the literature that i study it really brought up this whole idea that until we can feel the anger we really can't forgive and i have found that to be my experience um, that until i was really willing to look at the hurt that i could say i forgave somebody and you know, forgiveness to me is when you truly accept that person as they are. It doesn't mean that I go and spend time with them. If they're dangerous, it doesn't mean that I'm condoning what they've done. But what I have done is truly accept that this is who they are on their path and I'm not their higher power. And yes, it crashed into me and it hurt me, but I'm attending to that. Um, even if they're responsible for the pain 
they're not responsible for the healing. And that's the beautiful thing about recovery is that it's our job to heal. It's our job to find people and do it. And um, I don't believe that we love unconditionally when it comes to toxic narcissistic parents. I think we have to have really good boundaries, which is something that you shared, but I could just hear the peace and the acceptance in your share. And I'm, I'm so grateful. And, you know, I'd like to say you must have done something really right with your son that he was able to do what he was able to do. Like that always speaks to me. You know, when I work with parents or I work with, with people and they're frustrated at their 13-year-old and they're feeling like a failure, I always like to point out, look, this person feels safe enough to show you this. I know when I was growing up, there was no safety. There was no discussing it. Um, there was no room for me to have anger because it wouldn't have been acknowledged anyway. And uh, that's something to remember. I kind of feel like, Christina, that, you know, my son is an only child, so he didn't have other siblings. And sometimes I think maybe if he had other siblings, like I had my other two sisters, and we would joke around about how, oh, yeah, well, you know, mom and dad are total narcissists and things like that. I mean, that was just in a light joking sense, but there are lots of, I have, you know, children, uh, uh, I mean, sorry, I have friends, really good friends, and they have multiple kids, and, you know, they will sort of team up, and it sort of piles up their feelings of anger and feelings of injustice, and, and they'll just sort of put a spotlight and remind each other constantly of the of the ways their parents fell short. And I think for kids like that, it can take a longer time for them to actually, you know, face the truth, which is that they really do uh, love and need their, their, their parents, their moms. And um, so my son was an only child. And, and also, you know, had he met a significant other where maybe um, that other person had um, felt, um, like they had a toxic parent, you know, he, he might have taken longer as well. So I feel very blessed and fortunate in that way. But one other thing I wanted to point out, Christina, is that, um, you know, when I talk about like narcissists, I, I, I no longer am judgmental about that. I mean, I do think that it is wrong behavior, but I now believe that uh, me having been a people pleaser, like I call myself a, a recovering people pleaser, you know, I really feel like, yes, my father being narcissistic, like created me to be a people pleaser. But I think codependent people pleasers, it's just the other side of the same coin with yeah, narcissism yeah. on the other end. If you look at the symptoms, I mean, both narcissists and people pleasers desperately require um, validation from other people to make us feel good. I mean, we both have low self-esteem. We both- um, yep, That's exactly would, right. Yeah, would love to brag if we could. I mean, it's 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 just an extreme opposite end and yet we're still the same in a way. Mm -hmm. And so, so I look at them as just needing help just the way I needed help and I'll stop there. Thank you. So good, you're exactly right. Um, we, we know that shame plays a part in both. We know that this is a survival trait and that's gotta be, that's really hard sometimes when you're dealing with uh, a person who's acting out in their narcissistic survival traits and we have to protect ourselves. Um, even if we love them, we have to protect ourselves, but you are right. Um, and I think that that word gets 
doled out a lot, um, and, but from what I understand, it's 1% of the population actually is a true clinical narcissist. And we still have to set healthy boundaries and keep them. So I just really appreciate what you shared. Thank you. Um, Teresa, welcome. How are you, Mama? I'm all right. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I have trying to be a good mom and then trying to understand my own mom um, because uh, she was, I guess, what will we say? My both parents were codependent as well as my father being just downright controlling and critical. And then unfortunately I decided to uh, take after my dad's critical controlling nature. And then I'm recovering from that. And I feel bad how I treated my youngest son who's 22 when he was younger critiquing all the things. And so he, um, makes sure that I, you know, when I'm, I'm falling back into that old behavior that I don't do that now. Um, and it's just accepting his decisions to take a break from college. Um, I am doing my boundaries though, because I do need him to pay the car insurance and his cell phone. Um, and although he doesn't want to work a typical job he said he's going to work from home and then his adhd gets in the way and keeps him from doing the things but he told me the other night he has a plan of just selling the things he no longer needs and that will take care of it and i'm like it's not what i would choose i didn't say that out loud and i'm just like okay he's got a plan turn around walk out of the room <laughs> Oh my gosh. And then, um, my mother, uh, disappointed me and you know, that's happens because we're human. Um, because my, uh, brother didn't want to take responsibility for, um, a pest control issue. Um, he will not discuss it. Um, my mother has tried dealing with it for the past two years and it ended up in my home. And, um, I just, so I kind of like reminded my mother that it was okay to be honest, that I wasn't going to judge her like any time in the future, if she ever had a health issue or needed to openly share her feelings that, um, I would be accepting of that, uh, because I know how difficult it is for her. It's actually difficult for me to be open and honest with um, some members of my family. I can do it really easily at my meetings, you know, but um, for whatever reason, it's, I, I just want someday not to let it be an emotional trigger where I'm like sharing my feelings open and honestly and not bawling my eyes out at the same time. I don't know why it's so difficult for me um but i wanted to let my mom know that because she's 71 i said i don't want to find out later that you had a health condition because you waited to share it until after christmas to spare us the hard details and um so um and then we actually went and had fun together at my church. We had a ladies night with the bingo. My sister came and her two daughters and 
um, I'm trying to just have fun, yes. you know, and enjoy, enjoy each other's company. And, um, she really enjoyed it. And, um, she won being, she won a bingo. <laughs> wow. You and know, Teresa, what you're sharing just depicts exactly the complications, you know, of trying to, once we are in recovery, wanting other people to see it and know that they have an option and they have a new way to live and knowing that this is available to them, but also letting higher power take over. Uh, when you were sharing about your older son and I'll tell you, I this was so put to test for me with working with my son's recovery, but also letting higher powers show up and work through other people. Like I really had to take this huge leap of faith. And you know, the, the tears that show up when we are hurting um, or some kind of you know, incident happens that brings us back to childhood. Um, it can be very, very overwhelming, and it it makes no sense. It's counterintuitive that to way the way to heal the pain is to actually embrace it and run to it. And um, and that's one of the things that I love about the ACOA program. Uh, it's uh, a twelve step that's based on us really looking at our experiences in childhood and figuring out where we froze. And I believe, in, and there's a, a, a real body of work that is suggesting this, that the trauma of happening, you know, the traumatic event that happened when I was five years old, I couldn't feel it at that moment. There was no place to feel it and it freezes. Um, and then as I get to be an adult, something will unearth that and I'll be five years old again. And it feels, you know, and the way to help a five-year-old is to love a five-year-old, to sit next to a five-year-old, to hold her and tell her it's okay to have her feelings. But for many years, I was giving a lecture to my five-year-old about how it wasn't okay to have these feelings and you should be beyond this. Come on, you have double-digit recovery. Why is this still hurting? And so I just loved your share. Thank you so much. And Pam, I'm so happy to see you up here. I'd love to hear from you. I'm here. I know that mute button. <laughs> I'm just trying to get to my <laughs> That mute button kills me. I'm coming. I know I'm coming. I'm coming. Um, what wonderful shares today. Thank you so much, JJ and Teresa. I didn't get to hear anybody else, but just thank you so much. It's um, you know, so powerful and so so encouraging being able to hear um you know, the, the victories and, and even when they just, even when they seem small, they're victories. And, uh, so I was, so there was just so much going through my mind, but one of the things, um, talking about people pleasing and boy, you know, when you're going through recovery, you can go from one, one side of the spectrum to the other. And that, and often that's almost normal to do because we don't want to be where we were. Um, so we go way over the other side and then we end up causing just as much, you know, collateral damage. Um, but one of the things that's going on with me right now is, is that um, to catch you all up on the story is, is that I grew up in a very abusive home also. And um, 
when I became an adult with children, my mom began to uh, mentally, she wasn't physically abusing them, but she would mentally abuse my children. Well, they were my responsibility. And that's, that's really when I had to learn boundaries because it was like, okay, you know, I, I cannot let this happen. And so lo and behold, um, mom couldn't handle boundaries and she shut me out and my younger brother out. And so the only the only child she had, she claimed, was my older brother. And my dad went along with it. I think it was just easier for him because he didn't he had he had to live with her. That's how he would say it. I have to live with her. So um, so that meant he didn't have a relationship with us either. And my mom and dad both died uh, last July and August. They died three weeks apart from each other. And um, my younger brother and I weren't supposed to know, but my older brother did call us and tell us after they were already dead and um, cremated. And um, I, you know, I had dealt with all the stuff with my mom. Like, you know, she, that was years of healing. But what I have discovered is um, the other day I was in the clubhouse room and they were talking about um, this. The one guy was talking about someone telling him that when he writes in his journal, he just needs to sit and ask God, what do you want me to know? Like, what is it that you want me to know? And he said, one of the, so he decided to do that. And one of the things that he heard God say was, I want you to know that I see you. And oh my goodness, when those words came out of that gentleman's mouth, it hit like a very deep core part of me. And like it almost instantly sent me into tears. And I was like, oh no, I know what this means. You know, you go through enough healing, you you do start to understand how certain things hit you. And I thought, okay. So I, I asked myself why, you know, why did this hit so hard? And it was um, getting raw with myself. And I began to realize that um, I haven't really dealt with the fact that my dad died and I didn't get to have that relationship with him. And that hope, that expectation that I had that, you know, maybe mom will die first and then I'll get to be with my dad. And, um, and I said something to my brother when he told me that she, you know, that they had died. I said, I really was hoping that I could have a relationship with dad. And he said, well, you know, years ago, that might've been true, but he said in the last several years, they both claimed that the only child they had was me, meaning my brother. And so, and I, you know what I did? Um, life was busy. I tucked it away and I said I was okay. And um, for the most part, I was okay. I was able to function. But when little things like that come up, little messages or little things that hit you like that, it's like, okay, you know what? I have a choice here. I can either take time out <laughs> and deal with this, deal with, you know, the, the little girl who wants her daddy. Or I can push it all back in there and keep functioning and it come back up and come back up because it's not going to go anywhere until I actually work on it. 
And so I will admit I haven't, I haven't done it yet. However, I do know me real well and I'm going to need some allotted time where I can do the ugly cry and just really process this with God and, and be able to, um, you know, work through the disappointment and the expectation that wasn't met and, you know, the, the feelings of unloved. And, and I also pinpointed that though I have worked on a lot of my um, perceptions of God that isn't, you know, wasn't clear, I think, no, I know that there's still that little girl that is feeling like God doesn't totally see her because my dad didn't see me, you know? And I was like, wow, man. So, and, and it's, it's nice now that I know that whenever I take this time to do this, it's just going to deepen my relationship with God. And I also know that there's going to be some amazing things that come out of it. It's, um, you know, taking that time and resisting that urge to avoid. And so, um, yeah, I'm Pam and I'm complete. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing not only what's happening to you in real time, but also sharing the, the right way to deal with it. Um, you know, there's a, there's concern when we start doing this work that we will re-traumatize ourselves and that needs to be addressed. Um, that definitely needs to be in the forefront of anybody who is starting to do trauma work. Um, I always start off with the, um, with learning how to protect our nervous system. And I tell people, um, and I think you would agree with this, Pam, if it, if the memory doesn't come, it's okay. It's okay because we can tell like with, um, sexual abuse survivors, we already know that something happened, um, something happened and the healing process is the same, whether you know the details or not, it's about self-love and having people around in a relationship with higher power and really starting to see ourselves. And it really struck me when you said, you know, that the two-way prayer uh, that you were talking about, that phrase, I see you, um, being invisible is such an incredibly painful experience. And sometimes people will start trauma comparing and say, well, I didn't get hit <clears throat> or that didn't happen to me. So I'm overreacting and um, we're not to be in a home that for whatever reason you were not seen shakes us to our core. And it does turn out people pleasing pe people like myself and others. And so acknowledging that the work needs to come um, and recognizing, gosh, I mean, the resistance, that's really what you were saying, how to let go of the resistance. Um, I too lost uh, my mother, as I've shared before. Uh, and I had that initial sadness. And within a couple of days, it was lifted because she was a stranger. Um, and I've done a lot of the work, but I also know that when it shows up again, 
you know, like working uh, through my inner teenage anger. When it shows up again, I still have to feel it. And I still have to do the work because I want a better life. I want more and I want to be a better mother. So I can't think of another way to finish the room that was better than that, Pam. I just want to thank everybody um, and do a little housekeeping. Tomorrow we'll be back uh, same time with uh, Damon Frank's Unstuck Room. You don't want to miss that. Uh, we peel back and go deeper in our recovery process there. And I want to honor everybody, Deanna, JJ, Teresa, Pam Bloom, for coming up and sharing on such a tender subject. The link that's attached is a membership to The Recovered Life um, and where we support each other more and we have language that's available to us. Um, it's like having a home group in your pocket. And I encourage everybody to hit it, explore it, follow me. It's completely free. Um, and we can't do this alone. Uh, and I also want to say that I believe everybody on this earth is a parent to somebody. You know, I, I have friends that struggle with infertility. And, and it's good to be reminded that we can mother um, without having children. And no matter what your story is, please accept it and do not judge yourself because it's a complicated issue. Um, and with that, <clears throat> Deanna, do you want to help me shut down the room? We can just, um, just unmic and say goodbye. Yeah, I just want to say thank you. This has been such a great room. Thank you so much, everybody, for sharing. I got so much out of it. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Hopefully we, we had a little healing today. So with that, I'm going to shut down. Thank you, everybody. Have a beautiful day. Thank you. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free, and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.